0: hey folks and welcome to the deconstructed of fun podcast if you like this podcast i'm sure you very much like level up event this june 22nd and 23rd it's a two-day virtual event for mobile game community we're doing together with iron source And the thing is, we have 25 sessions led by industry's top minds covering topics in ways that have never been discussed before. And why I'm particularly excited about this event is because we have just a top of the food chain speakers. We got Clive Downey, CMO of Unity, Kieran O'Leary, COO of Rovio, Alexis Bonte, CEO of Steelfront, Ken Goh, CEO of Deca Games, Joe Sheppi, CEO of 12 Trades, Brian Sapp, SVP Marketing at Gem City, Philip Hickey. EVP Brand and Marketing, it seriously. Uh, Eric Suford from Mobile Dev Memo. Adam Telfer, Senior Product Director from WB Games. Sophie vo Studio and Game Lead at Wudu. We got Joe Kim from Lila Games, myself, and so many, many more talking about all kinds of interesting topics that you just don't want to miss. There's link in the description of this podcast where you can reserve your spot there are limited seats people have been dm me dming me if they can get their spot i'm not the person who's choosing them but it makes sense to dm me i i'm sure i can pull some strings anyway i hope to see you on 22nd and 23rd this june at level up event this episode is brought to you by facebook gaming Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg dof for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift, with the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's Incrementality solutions build built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, increman- with Incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality, and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appslyers.com. Hey, and welcome everybody to Twig 136. We got almost the whole crew here. We got Eric Sufert in the shadows. We got Adam Telfer. Congratulations on the uh, the promotion. And we got myself, Mishki Katkoff. Eric Kress is out today attending to Family Business. He'll be back next week. And probably good that he's out because we're going to talk about WWDC. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Valorant Mobile. And we're going to touch upon Dark Horse Comics starting a game division. How's everybody doing?
1: doing
0: Good,
2: great. Uh, I'm gonna apologize ahead of time for the background noise. No, just, just building a west wing. Continued <laughs> construction at my house. Uh, a not sure. Yeah, no, uh, the previous owners. Uh, I don't think they ever decorated this house, so it looks and feels like it's in the 70s. So, like half my house is just textured paint everywhere. It's, and so I actually have to like skim like mud, like half my house just to get rid of all this crap on the walls.
1: You know? uh, we had to do that too. We we bought a condo and it was, it was built in like the seventies and hadn't been updated. And actually, that's actually a big undertaking, like, sh- like stripping it. Like we had a popcorn ceiling. It took yeah. like three guys, like, like a week to
2: get that down. And it's just popcorn ceiling, right? Like it's just a bunch of crap on the ceiling. Like, yeah. Just junk. Uh, yeah. Anyway. The seventies, the worst, just the worst. Yeah and
1: probably neither of you can do anything with your hands right Other than oh, no, I, I, I can't even i can't even type man i have to dictate everything I write. <laughs> <laughs> my fingers aren't strong enough to type <laughs> okay
0: let's <laughs> talk about north guard <laughs> let's, let's move on to the update so north guard user acquisition is going strong i'm basically acquiring this game straight up whales so i've been <laughs> Friends of the podcast have been listening to this, and then, and um, they've gotten back to me. So we're talking about VP and up, like CEOs, SVPs of different games. So based on my user acquisition, this is game perfected for executives. Uh, so if you haven't downloaded it, please do. If you want to play the game that your executive is playing, please do update it, and please download. And remember to download it on iPad, not your iPhone, just to, to get the, uh, the perfect feel. Eric,
1: you're still playing this game? Yeah. Well, you're not going to, you're not just acquiring them users. You're going to get them acquired. I, I, I think uh, it's just a matter of time. Um, actually, a bank, a banker reached out. He said he'd be playing it <laughs> on an, on an
0: iPhone. I said, no, 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 dude, iPad. He's like, all right, all right. He's going to put it. So a lot of friends of the shows are, of the show are playing this. Uh, if you are an executive and you're not playing North guard, I don't know what to tell you. Because everybody else has so, so you should really play
2: it. But is it good on iPad? Like I played on PC years yeah. ago. I played on Switch years yeah. ago. It's, on, it's, great. it's it's
0: great. It's great on iPad. Amazing. It's amazing. My Viking Village is it's like it never gets good because something happens and I have to restart. Like the, the thing of restarting, because you fuck yourself like a few hours before it happens. Like, you expand too aggressively. You go to some territory you shouldn't be going. You were greedy. And now the people start dying, and there's diseases. You run out of firewood. And then another faction attacks you. you like, guys,
2: you've you got to test out. you got to play RimWorld on PC. <laughs> I would love it if it was on iPad. But if this is the types of stories that you got, like, man, RimWorld is that dialed okay. up to 11. I'll try. I'll um, try.
0: It, but, it, it definitely destroys my, my productivity on the weekends. Anyway, um, another word on the street... Tilting Point opening up a Miami studio. So I don't know, when I heard about it, it sounds like the most dope location for uh, for a game studio. Uh, it's also a place where everybody wants to travel. So if they do any kind of events, shout out to Tilting Point. If you ever want to invite us to a talk, we'll come into Miami. Uh, it has direct flights to their other pretty cool studios in New York and Barcelona. And there's a lack of income tax. So I think the, the hiring will be pretty interesting. And this is not an ad. This is uh, again. Just, you just uh, want to
2: go to Miami. Just yeah, go to Miami. This is
0: self-serving. If you want to have like an on-location podcast, we'll come in. We'll do a housewarming party for for Miami. Eric is a really good DJ, so yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll be
1: there. Just get some- got there. <laughs> their their new york office is pretty incredible too though it's got like a i don't know thousand square foot patio overlooking madison uh, avenue it's pretty pretty amazing hard, yeah, it's yeah. Hard
0: gonna be hard to beat that the barcelona here is pretty cool too so we could actually go all three locations if need be uh <laughs> do a little tour anyway uh congratulations to tilting point on on allegedly opening up this this new location um yeah anyways Going to the other updates, Estonian studio Clickworks Games has raised 1.2 million from Play Ventures. Uh, Eric Sufert, you are advisor for every company in Estonia. What do you know about this? Uh,
1: it's just a bunch of veterans um, doing mobile games. They they have, have you know the the founding team has a long history in game development. Um, Facebook Games. They they did some VR stuff and and they built a, a mobile uh, uh, idle game that is just. Doing really, really, really well. Uh, really happy for them, and I'm really happy for Estonia. I think uh, it, 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 you know any any kind of tech ecosystem that doesn't have um, kind of a strong gaming core is is missing out. I mean, gaming just makes so much sense from just like a, for for countries to sort of invest into because you think about the, the economics of that. You've got you know kind of small headcount and then worldwide. Uh, you know, revenue stream, right? Anyway, I'm really happy for them. Um, the game is doing great, and I hope this kind of kickstarts a, a gaming revolution in Estonia. Yeah, Estonia,
0: a small country, I think 1.2 million or something like that. 1.3, uh, yeah. 1.3, see, multiply, and uh, south of Finland, it takes a ferry ride from here, like about two hours. That's uh, actually the boat that Eric came to <laughs> Finland with, <That's> right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> the boat,
0: directly to Digital Chocolate. That's how that's how Eric appeared to in Finland, yeah. Back in the days. Uh, All right. Uh, Mythical Games raises $75 million for Blanco's block party game and a playable NFT. According to the article in VentureBeat, Mythical is pioneering the idea of playable NFTs using NFT technology to uniquely identify game characters so players can truly own them. NFTs use blockchain, the secure and transparent digital ledger, to authenticate unique digital items. so this brings the total amount of raised for mythical to $120 million. I don't know if this is only me, but I feel like NFT is the magic word when raising money these days. I still don't know anybody who gets NFTs. I haven't met that person, but it would be great to talk to that person. But I feel like everyone is afraid to admit that they don't get NFTs. So they just invest out of fear of missing out. I don't know if this is me, but I, I've been actually asking about NFTs, and people have been explaining. They're like, well. That doesn't make any sense. I'm like,
2: yeah, I think I don't understand it. In the end, <laughs> I feel like we should bring actually Ethan Levy on the podcast, just based on his Sutra article, right? Oh, um, I feel like he actually gets it because he actually put in money to Top Shots. All right, Ethan, I, come on. Um, I, oh no, I, I think
1: you. I think you get NFTs perfectly. I think you have a total understanding of NFTs.
0: <laughs> so it's the fear of missing out, and that's and uh, and of course, I mean. Uh, you know, Galaxy Interactive seems to be the VC fund that is that is most into crypto, blockchain, NFT. So they've been investing into that. But when I looked at the other investors, there was like a Vaynerchuk's uh, fund and so forth. So not very like gaming heavy. But anyways, uh, a lot of money. Hope they um, kill it. Uh, I, I haven't played the game and I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, but at least they have all the resources to, to reach success. Moving on to next update, Space Ape Games and Supercell collaborate for Boom Beach Frontlines. Now, before I give anything, and I just have to kind of probably raise this in every every podcast, there's like two me's when I do feedback on this. One is me as a game maker and a founder of a startup company, and I have utmost respect for everyone who's in the grind making games, and I think it's, I know how hard it is. The second part is this Deconstructor of Fun podcast slash blog and then we do objective criticism anyways just wanted to give this caveat so they have an interesting approach to testing this enclosed alpha through invite only so about fifteen thousand players have been inviting they're playing it they did this whole launch video which is very like super selly in terms of the community video uh the game looks to me i watched the videos i haven't played this myself it looks very much like brawl stars meets boom beach there's bases the controls seem to be exactly the same as in brawl stars you choose your character and and there's there was this um shit there, there's been a a cool game like that i forgot totally what it was called but very similar to that anyway that didn't make any sense uh, and and um so yes yeah, so, this is supercell's tier 2 ip and it seems to be the only game they have actually discontinued since launching globally so i don't think boom beach is getting any new updates and hasn't been getting in, in, a, in a year or two and for, for Space Ape, this kind of makes sense because they've always mimicked really well what Supercell does. And now they're actually working with a Supercell IP. There's, of course, a question what the players think, because those who loved Boom Beach from Supercell will be now playing Boom Beach from Space Ape. Uh, I don't even know if players really care what company, what publisher has, has, uh, has released the game uh, and, and how that is presented to them. But, you know, um, anyways. So my personal opinion about this game, uh, I think my only issue with 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 uh, with Space Ape is that they've kind of seemed to be all over the place when it comes to the games they're making. They've been trying to launch all kinds of different games. In the beginning, they were very strategy focused, very much build and battle, and we're improving on that. There's the Rise of Kingdoms. Before that, there was a, the the uh, uh, the Ninja game. And since then, they've been trying like a lot, a lot of different genres and kind of having a hard time succeeding with those different genres. And, you know, all their games and development sound great. They look great, but I kind of fear that they don't have this genre mastery by focusing on a specific type of a game and really improving into that and by kind of constantly shifting their attention, it's harder for them to find success. But I mean, I hope they nail it with this one. The the IP is good. I don't know how great it is, but it's definitely good. There's a lot of affinity for the players, and they and they hopefully will be able to connect with the Boom Beach players, and hopefully Boom Beach players are are excited about this. Um, hopefully, play, Supercell can cross promote this with Supercell ID or the emailing, so they will get a lot of installs, and and through that they will be able to get this game going. Um, I don't know, Adam. What do you think? Space Ape is a great company. Just just to be just to be clear, uh, utmost respect for for Space Ape for what they've done. Especially, I've played pretty much all of their games, um, and we'll be playing this one as well.
2: Yeah, putting on my objectively critical hat, um, like it's a great team. They saw a lot of success in 2013 um, by following that Supercell formula. Um, I think it's a great team filled with smart people, but I think it's one that drank that Supercell Kool Aid a bit too much. I agree. They went too broad. And uh, I keep coming back to their mantra, which is really about leaning at their live ops teams, which I think those two things really yeah. were wrong in retrospect. And to be honest, I did the same thing at Wooga and I made the same mistake. Um, but it, one thing interesting here is that they're doing these closed alphas, right? Like these private things, instead of actually just going into a soft launch and looking at numbers. Um, same thing Diablo Immortal is doing. I guess this is only when your, your company, assuming, you know, this is basically supercell is so massive that a soft launch can not actually avoid your golden cohort from coming in on day one um like maybe they had this issue on brawl stars that people got around the region lock and ended up playing um and they kind of burn their golden cohort what do you guys think like is, is a closed alpha a viable way to actually test out engagement
0: I think, like I'll before I give a smart opinion, I'll give a stupid one. I I think it makes sense for this type of a PvP heavy game to really see what the uh, super engaged community thinks of it because it gives them more time to adjust, especially as, as they're using one of Supercell's IPs. They want to be tip top before even going to soft launch. So I think this kind of gives them time to to simmer a little bit on it, get get feedback from from the most devoted players. Improve for next six to eight months, and only then release and soft launch to kind of like you know the first first ones who are interested in
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's like for these types of of games, and you know, with the sort of approach that Supercell can afford to take, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, the golden cohort matters. You know, is is less meaningful to you um, in the long term. Like if you're building a game that's meant to you know generate. Couple billion over ten years, um, you know the 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 golden cohort is not um, probably not a consideration that 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 sort of like significantly impacts your decision to launch or not. Um, but I, I mean, just just to your point, like that's something that Supercell can afford to do, and that's like I feel like when they go and and do the presentations about like yeah we have the small teams and we take our time and we kill games and we you know have champagne you know parties when we kill games. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you can afford to do that because you're Supercell. You couldn't afford to do that when you, know, when you killed um, – what was that Facebook game, right? Like that they made. Oh, the, Gunshine. Uh, Gunshine. Or they, you know They shut down a whole studio right at one point. So it's like yeah. when you're Supercell and you've got Clash of Clans and you've got this IP that's just generating billions in the background – or I mean not in the background, but that's a core focus of the company. But like you, you can afford to do that kind of thing. Like that approach is not going to work for everybody. And I don't know that you can take that approach and apply it. To Space Ape or, or to, to anyone, I think, you know, a lot of people built studios modeled on this sort of Supercell approach and found that it's just not viable as a startup that's kind of scrambling to, to, to latch onto something that has to work. Otherwise, the company dies.
2: So in terms of the the genre that they're working in, it's a PVP service. It's completely dependent on CCU. So a closed alpha with a very limited number of players, doesn't that then... Imply that you're going to get a low CCU, poor matchmaking, and that's going to give you a bad read on retention. Top users, top users,
0: like these are these are invite only, and I think they would be looking at week over week engagement, like probably somewhere above thirty percent week over week for for whoever is playing this, and that would be the key. And plus, I assume they would do a lot of qualitative feedback rather than quantitative. I mean that that one as well, but a lot of qualitative, especially. Well, and also,
1: I think p- people tend to overestimate how many concurrence you need to make matchmaking work. You don't need that many. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's like, you know, we, we did actually, we did a, an analysis of this at Wooga, um, Adam. I don't know if you remember that um, when, when they built that alpha of like the, the, the real-time PvP game. And it, it actually wasn't that many. That was one of the concerns. Like we'd have to do tons and tons of user acquisition, even just in the soft launch to get enough people. in, And it, and it actually didn't end up being that much more than uh, an async game.
2: Uh, but still, as a sync game, there's, there's the difference between just getting matchmaking working and uh, matchmaking the right people. Um, so especially when you start looking at a game like this, where you're bifurcating your entire matchmaking pool based on stats, because things are, like certain characters are better than other characters. Um, at least what I've seen outside of Wooga and past Wooga is when you start building out these PvP games, the more critical mass you have in matchmaking beyond just you know, the minimum viable for CCU has a direct impact on retention. You can even see this stuff through things like call of duty where um retention did have a pretty clear uplift when they managed to go cross-platform and even though they had critical mass before um, mm-hmm. and after now they can actually do much better matchmaking during which delivers a meaningful uplift to retention
1: yeah that, that could be true i'm not familiar enough with the game to to kind of have a sense of how how, how much depth they need at like different tiers of play or whatever. But it's just my kind of historically I've seen that, you know, you know, people tend to overestimate how many concurrence you need to in order to do that well.
0: I also think yeah. this is a lot about getting just the feedback for the most devoted fans. Like I think Supercell has done this with other games as well, where they do a lot of internal tests and they do the test with influencers and, and the uh, different different teams and like, you know, the, the super fans and, and and those who are really pushing um, kind of on the, on the front of their user base um and then after that they enter into soft launch they're so kind of getting like the first look from the audience
2: that makes sense yep. yeah okay.
0: so Good. so in, in that's in, in that sense they're using very much a supercell approach in, in in launching the game and kind of taking every step because before this they did their own brawl stars do you remember what the what the name of that game was space Save. no they, I they I remember long...
2: pictures of it but i don't remember what it was, it was for a long or... time
0: in a soft launch they really tried to make it work it had like it looked a lot like brawl stars to be honest and then that failed so they are kind of using the probably the same engine for this one and just
2: putting boom beach on top
0: of it and probably similar
2: mechanics but is the hypothesis just that boom beach ip will save this
0: Uh, Um, because uh,
2: fundamentally like i let look at the videos and I, i really want to play the game to understand it but um what i'd be struggling with is whether this design can actually solve the issues of brawl stars um because i don't i don't think just the ip is going to get them Footprint printing here. They they've got to build a better live model if they want to try to compete.
0: What is the Boom Beach IP like? Like, have has Supercell really invested into building? Because they've invested a lot into building Clash IP, like not only the uh, the beautiful ads that have been done, but they've invested into various things, like whether it's animation and and all these characters and and so forth and so forth. But I don't know if if the same type, like I'm sure not the same type of investment, have been done with with Boom Beach, but. It, it, is it really an IP, or is it just like Heyday was a game that at one point was huge, and was downloaded so much, and, and pl- players are still playing it? But when it came out as um, you know Heyday Pop, that IP really didn't help them that much. Of course, there were some issues with the uh, with the game itself, but it was a good game. But the IP kind of didn't help them to fly.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure I can really measure the value of brand, but like a quick Google Trend look. Um... Yeah, it, looking it, at the peaks, Boom Beach was about a quarter of Clash of Clans in search volume, and then now um, it looks like between eleven x and maybe five or six x yeah. um, Clash of Clans to Boom Beach. Yeah, I, but
0: anyways, it's better than nothing. It has a lot of name recognition, and um, yeah, I mean we naturally hope that that Space Ape can can kind of get their own own game out there. Because it has taken them a while. I think Rival Kingdoms was their last, you know, IAP-based game. After that came Fastlings, and they haven't really shipped anything after that. So it's been a it's been a long draw for them. Anyway, uh, so Steelfront has acquired a mobile idol role-playing game. Crush them all. Um, following the acquisition of Cross the Mall will be operated by Steelfront Studio Imperia Online, which will be able to leverage its existing available live ops development and user acquisition capabilities and grant the game additional resources. So this is interesting to see Steelfront now acquiring games instead of game companies. Uh, this, of course, boosts their portfolio of, of legacy titles, which they have a lot, without really adding more companies to to the uh, so-called Steelfront family. The game is relatively small. Uh, we're talking about um, one million of in-app purchases and likely one million of additional ad revenue per month, with about one hundred and ten thousand installs a month. So, very much game that doesn't rely on installs has a very good run rate, and and seems to be you know especially with with additional help can can help out Imperia uh, Online. Not very familiar with that with that studio. And overall fits perfectly uh, with Stillfront's portfolio. So sale, self-sustaining profitable live titles that don't really need user acquisition are essentially cash calves, if not
1: cash cows. Any comments on that? Just, I mean, it's impressive the pace at which they do M&A. Yeah. It's, like, uh, it's pretty it's pretty frenetic, um, but it's, it's it's good. I mean, I feel like, you know, you go after just, it's, it's nice for like small studios to be able to sell a game too. like, I mean a lot of small, like, especially a lot of gaming studios. I mean, they just, they very much are invested and in wanting to be independent. Right. And so the ability to just sell an asset like a game um, and then use that to sort of like reinvest into kind of pursuing the dream of like building a big hit game and, you know, becoming the next Supercell or whatever. It's, it's really great that there's that outcome available.
0: Uh, I believe huge that the same thing was traffic puzzle just recently. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. A week, week or two weeks ago. Before that, they were publishing Traffic Puzzle. And shout out to Traffic Puzzle. That was, a, that was a, a fun game, like out of puzzle games. Anyway, they were publishing it. And at some point, it kind of started to, to decline. And all I can assume is it's the normal publishing type of issues where the, there's a misalignment between a publisher and the game studio. And super happy for them to see that they were able to to solve those issues by simply buying the game and not the company. So... Um, Yeah, shout out to to Huge as well. And as we're talking about publishing, let's talk about Dark Hero Comics, starting a game division. So Dark Dark Hero Comics, 35-year-old, founded in 1986, best known uh, as the publisher for Hellboy, also series like Umbrella Academy, Sin City. Uh, some other ones, not not maybe the biggest IPs, but, but pretty big ones. The company plans to create its own game based on less established franchises and original properties while partnering with external studios to bring its biggest brands to games. Dark Horse Games will be led by General Manager Johnny Lee, who previously held business development leadership positions at Docomo Digital and Improbable. So my take, it's following pretty much as the, uh, the previous companies we've been talking about here, Bat Robot, Netflix, and, and now Dark Horse. Of course, Marvel and Disney has shown a lot of success with this, but even they are struggling a bit nowadays because there are just so many titles that they've licensed that they it's it's kind of hard to to bring in new ones as the old ones are still playing. Overall, Dark Horse's approach seems to be very low risk and smart for their size. So they talk to AAA studios, basically figure out what games they're working on, give them an IP that can be bundled with existing game they're working on, working on, and um, yeah, they're not big enough to consider making their own games like Bad Robot. So licensing is that sort of a low risk, keeps their focus as a company on building up the value of their IP. And typically, typically when we're talking about publishing, there's these four different approaches, whether it's licensing, you know, giving an IP, taking a cut, maybe a million more guarantee. Publishing, where you start building your central publishing, you acquire different studios, or you get their games to be published. There's the co-development, where you share parts of the work and parts of the cost, and then you earn part of the profit. And, of course, the most expensive, the most riskiest, and the most, uh, well, winner takes it all is, is, of course, internal development, where you get all the cheese or you pay for all the cheese. And, um, yeah, any any feedback on, on, on the uh, dark horse
2: entering the race? Um, I don't know. Their IPs aren't big enough for them really to consider any other path besides licensing. So I think this is the right call overall. Um, but yeah, Hellboy, Sin City, um, neither of those IPs are say large enough really to start considering investment yeah. in games. So license it. You know, add it to Fortnite, add it to all these other games.
0: I remember. Great. I remember uh, networks. Um, what's what's what was the card in the game? Legend. Uh, Legendary. Legendary. Legendary had a Hellboy event. I remember that one. Yeah. Don't know how. Yeah. It, What's that? Don't know how it did. Uh, it was. It was like at the tipping point where they were at the at the peak. I remember that they changed the icon to Hellboy, and and um, that was just before they started to really
1: decline with that game. Yeah, I don't remember how that did. I mean, that like that was more of just an IP like overlay. So it wasn't like a full on kind of license, right? It was just bringing the characters into the game. No. Yeah.
0: Well, good luck to, to, um, to Dark Horse and, and hopefully they're able to find interesting developers to, to work on their title. But what I'm really curious about is Valorant coming to mobile.
2: I'm just curious now about Battlefield 2042, which literally just dropped a trailer just now. <laughs> um, but let's move on to Valorant. So um, we covered this actually briefly last week, um, the news that Valorant is coming to mobile phones. Um, The small piece that I wanted to call out is the strategy that this will be a mobile-centric experience, so its own product. Uh, I think that's still speculation, but that's what was covered. Um, It seems like a lot of games are following the PUBG or Call of Duty formula, not the Fortnite formula. So mobile-centric design being something like, say, Rocket League, where it's a 2D, completely different version. A mobile port with small changes, so that's much more like League of Legends, Call of Duty Mobile. PUBG Mobile, Apex Legends, Valorant, Battlefield, and Diablo, and then full cross-platform. So that's Fortnite, Minecraft. Uh, and really, the, the, in the case of Valorant, it looks like the mobile version is being seen as a completely owned separate service. So looking at the Fortnite numbers, mobile only accounted for 7.3% of total revenue. And I'm going to kind of adjust this because they weren't really on Android. So you could bump this to, say, something closer to 10%. Um, considering if they actually executed on being on Android on the Google Play Store. It's also unclear of any, say, less trackable benefits of being cross-platform. Say, does the retention of your PC console first players actually increase, giving a lift to overall LTV on those platforms? Um, That's still unclear based on the Fortnite numbers. You can see on um, how their revenue breaks down, but um, you don't really see if there was a meaningful, say, uh, um, retention uplift. So when we look at these kind of do two different options for a PvP shooter business like Valorant, like would you take a 10% incremental gain to your PC console business, or would you scale a completely different service? So Call of Duty Mobile making 460 million net in the last 12 months um, versus a 10% increase to your business. So I think there's kind of six considerations when you're trying to decide these things. First is demographics likely that a younger demographic is more likely to engage on mobile and be okay with, say, worse controls. So Valorant is probably closer to Call of Duty than to Fortnite. Um, so a pure cross-platform Valorant might not execute as well as Fortnite did. Might And even from the retention numbers we knew from Fortnite, those retention numbers were far worse on mobile and probably would be worse for Valorant. Uh, core gameplay controls, Fortnite is third-person. So probably could get away with the mobile-centric controls. Valorant is, of course, a first-person tactical shooter with far more difficult to play than Fortnite. Um, Tech, like likely the reason why League didn't even consider cross-platform, just the cost of updating your technology to be able to work on mobile, is daunting. Uh, Live operations, the idea of trying to keep a mobile version in complete sync with your PC console version, just so that you wouldn't slow down your update kit and simply to keep your mobile version in, in sync matchmaking the impact of matchmaking on your retention moments we mentioned before and i think most importantly can you actually scale a mobile service or to translate are you called timmy or light speeding quantum <laughs> because not a lot of these devs like when you look at these paths can actually scale up like for, for riot you have to be not using say call of duty mobile as the comp here but actually closer to wild Rift's performance or Auto chess on mobiles performance because you just have to kind of understand the limitations of your company to be able to scale up a mobile century centric live service. They obviously have a lot to learn. So putting this together, what would you do if you were valent? Would you do cross platform for mobile, or would you do this mobile separate service, or just focus your time, money, and talent on growing, growing the PC business? I think that's kind of the fundamental question. I think they, I personally think they made they made the right call here. Um, but I think the expectations for what a Valorant-based mobile game can do uh, will be less than Call of Duty and PUBG. Yeah, What do you guys think?
0: I, I was, I mean, I, I, it's well documented. I've been, I've been um, bullish about Riot releasing Valorant, so I think this would do pretty well, just given how the shooter market has been evolving on mobile. What's interesting about this game, there's really no direct shoot the direct competitors for this type of a hero shooter so it is different than pubg it is very different than than upcoming battlefields it's it's very different than well it's kind of like same that apex uh, a little bit different but but there are some hero hero
2: elements here as well yeah personally like in terms of the buckets i would put this very close to counter-strike a lot closer to counter-strike than i would to say overwatch no right like even though there is heroes in this and the art style does not say you know, Counter-Strike functionally how this game works is very much a day tactical shooter. Right? Yeah. CS CSGO was the streamers they were going after, not Overwatch.
0: And and I think I think the uh, the reason for, for this move is Honor of Kings, just by Riot not releasing League of Legends early enough and just seeing how successful Honor of Kings has been and releasing League of Legends so late. Um, i think this kind of changed their approach to to be more welcoming towards a mobile version sooner rather than later meaning sooner before tencent does their own version of it uh and um with with this game they have ton of content done there's a lot of seasons that has been that has been um running in this game so i'm I'm sure they can they can uh kick off those seasons again and kind of be giving the same same type of rewards riot has has been struggling on on mobile i mean we've we've talked about this on this podcast to nauseam uh, I was just looking at League of Legends, and they have actually improved. Season two did pretty well, over ten million in in revenues in in April when season two kicked off on on League of Legends, and it has declined, of course, from that season, but still making you know about seven to eight, according to Sensor Tower. So it could be even even to closer to ten million a month. So pretty nice business, and um, I think that is further encouraging encouraging Riot to release the other mobile version of Valorant.
2: Eric, what do you think?
1: Yeah, um, I I think that the, it's an interesting. I hadn't thought about that interesting kind of uh, analog to, to Counter Strike. But does that work on mobile? Can you get like a like a hyper competitive kind of like real time shooter uh, team based game working on mobile? And, and if not, why is now the time? Or if, sorry, if so, why why is now the time? And why is why is uh, why is Riot the one to do it? Because it feels like there would be other. But you know, if you wanted to take cs go to mobile it feels like there are companies that could do that with you know kind of proven expertise on mobile and or shooters right is riot that company to do it to mobile
0: i think they have enough expertise to to do it Uh, i will i assume the game uh, no i I actually know that the game is done in unreal so it's not you Mm -hmm. know so far-fetched to to move from that to to launching it on on mobile i don't know the shooter market has been has been really booming like all kinds of competitive shooters have been doing pretty well not pretty well like some of them have been doing just fantastic and of course looking at at what devices people have i think everybody who ever has played who currently is playing any of the riot games has a cell phone so i think that that brings their total addressable audience pretty big and um I don't know. I, I think it's a, just a smart move. Like Adam was asking, does it make sense, or should they invest somewhere else? I think Riot has so much uh, resources that they can invest into all, and and I yeah. think this, this is like a low risk, medium reward type of investment from them.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, Riot just—it's like they're they're so big and they have so much money. They could do it. They could just take take shots that mm-hmm. shots on goal that you know, pretty low risk for them as a company. Exactly, and hire
0: whatever team needed. You know? Yeah to like it would be so easy to hire a team to make mobile version of valorant yeah um huh. uh, should we should we talk about apple WWDC? yeah
1: let's talk wwdc so uh you know it's a big event there's a lot of announcements um wouldn't be wouldn't be feasible to talk through all of them here um what i wanted to focus on uh, were the ones that were the most relevant for developers, right? And there are a couple of things that I thought were interesting, and I'll kind of start there. Um, one, the, f- the first was that uh, Apple announced that you'll be able to build and deploy apps on iPad with Swift playgrounds. I, I mean, you know, that's not uh, probably anything that that uh, that got. You know, mobile games developers excited. You know, they're not going to build games that way. But I just think that's really interesting. Um, it's not the full Xcode suite, but it's enough to kind of you know exist as a as a means for kids to get excited about app development, or or maybe have uh, you know like a like a a, a high school class uh, learn how to build their first uh, game or app. So I just think I, th- I think just generally that's a really cool thing. Um, that Apple has done for like the development ecosystem and to encourage people to learn how to build apps. Um, another really interesting feature that they launched, which will be much more relevant for mobile games developers is AB testing of app store pages, right? So now there's native tools, uh, for developers to use to, to AB test their app store pages that to, to be honest, is, is, is coming kind of late. Google introduced this many years ago. Uh, it's a very, very popular feature. Um, you know, there, there are a number of tools that exist for iOS to, to do this kind of, uh, testing. I think they'll probably continue to exist. I don't think that th- that this is posing a huge risk to them. A lot of those companies kind of diversified away from that anyway. Um, but still, it's great that you know you don't need to use a third-party service anymore to do this. Um, probably, if you want to do it at sort of like professional scale, you will continue to use these third-party services. But um, you know, Apple, Apple offering this up to developers, you know, it's it's kind of uh, it's it's late, but it's appreciated. Uh, the big uh, things that I w- was interested in, uh, were the privacy features, right? So there were a bunch that right now, so I'll kind of run through them quickly. So there was the app privacy report, uh, which is like a dashboard that shows how various apps are communicating with third-party services and, and transmitting data. Um, that's really interesting. That's that, that kind of is very similar to what Google announced at IO a few weeks ago. So they're kind of a parody there. Um, usually Apple's a little bit ahead of Google in terms of privacy. In this case, uh, they're a little bit behind. Um, they announced on device processing of speech for Siri. Again, interesting, but not earth shattering. Uh, they, they have some limitations on share, sharing current location. Um, they introduced enhanced photos, limited library access for apps. They introduced secure paste, uh, expanded support for HomeKit, secure videos. These all sort of just advance Apple's position on privacy fairly incrementally. They're just kind of boxes that Apple's ticking uh, in terms of being like the privacy friendly or the privacy forward, the privacy progressive mobile platform. I think the substantive new features announced at WWDC in terms of privacy are mail privacy protection, um, hide my email in iCloud Plus and private relay in iCloud Plus and private relay is the, the really big one, right? And so while these were all predictable, they're not incremental, right? These are big leaps forward. Um, the, these are pretty, I think, uh, substantive uh, you know, uh, de- developments on that path. That Apple's been on for many years of being like the privacy progressive mobile platform. I want to talk about so hide my email is really interesting. So and I can talk about it for a second. Basically, you'll be able to create an email like on the fly per service that you subscribe to. So th- this isn't really relevant to mobile game developers. But if I go and I want to subscribe to a newsletter, or I go and I'm creating an account on some ecom site, I can create an email address specifically for that that uh, that uh, outlet. And I can delete it at will, right? So I can basically sever the the ability for that outlet to to email me um, if I feel that they're abusing my email. That's just really interesting, right? Uh, Mail privacy protection, what they're doing is they're basically uh, severing the ability for trackers, for pixel trackers to to track email opens and to kind of collect any sort of user data uh, around like location or IP address when they open an email. That's interesting. I don't know that that was necessarily like very invasive. Maybe you know my sort of uh, my mentality around privacy is a little bit more um, uh, uh, avaricious than than other people's is. But I I don't think that you know tracking email opens is this is like this this invasive procedure or you know like this just this total um, disregard for user privacy. But you know, Apple thinks it is, and, and they've they've removed the ability to do that. So that means all email marketers are 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 uh, you know are, are facing a, a pretty harsh reality going forward. Um, so that's that's those things. I want to talk about private relay because that's really interesting and it's really important, right? So, you know, we've talked a lot in discussions about ATT about workarounds, right? Well, uh, you know, Apple has kind of made this big broad policy, but you know they can only really enforce it, um, through r- revoking access to the IDFA. Um, and then just sort of hoping that people comply with ATT because if they don't, you know, there's consequences. Apple owns the App Store, et cetera. Well, with private relay, what Apple is doing is it's basically making it impossible for these workarounds to work because it's going to remove access not only to, you know, ATT re- revokes access to the IDFA, but private relay is going to evoke access to the IP address, right? It's like that last remaining vulnerability uh, in terms of privacy, um, and 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 it's also essentially creating like a private network. So private relay is what it, what it is is it's an iCloud Plus feature that basically passes all your Safari traffic in some app traffic, and I'll talk about that in a second through uh, this sort of like two hop relay that obfuscates your IP and makes it impossible for anyone to know what you've browsed. Right. So it essentially puts a big firewall around your your device, um, and it and it obfuscates all the sort of traffic uh, out. On Safari. Um, and, and it essentially uh, it, it is changing the way that iOS interacts with the internet, right? It's changing the way that your your iOS devices are going to interact with the internet. Uh, so Apple is going to segment iOS devices from the internet as placing a two relay system between the user on their iOS de- device and the website they want to access. Now this only minimally applies to apps right now, right? So private relay is sort of on by default with iCloud plus subscribers. So it's a, it's a premium feature. It doesn't apply to everyone. Um, and, it, and it basically creates, you know, essentially a VPN, but a two relay VPN uh, for your Safari traffic, right? But um, it still applies to devs, to app devs. And I think app devs need to be cognizant of this for two reasons. One is my sense is at some point it's going to apply to apps, right? It's only a matter of time. The second is that it, it does actually apply to apps only for unencrypted traffic. So if you're running HTTP traffic through your app, um, then, then this, this probably applies. There's, there's some questions around whether this applies to WebKit views in your apps um, because those are loaded with Safari. I'm not quite sure if that is true yet, and there's a lot of uncertainty around this. But it, it, it still applies to app devs because this is going to break a lot of web functionality, right? And I think what Apple is doing here is they're saying, look, you know, All these things that need, all these these web features that need your IP address, well, that's not really going to work anymore because your IP address is going to look like a generic Apple IP address. And you're going to be lumped into a a really big group of users, right? A really big kind of generic uh, group of users based on our IP address obfuscation. So if you need all those features that utilize the IP address on your website, and a lot of things like session management, you know, rely on IP addresses, there's a a lot of different web, um, you know, web, web. Uh, mechanics that rely on IP address. Well, then you need to create an app, and you need to push all that content into the app store, and you need to to manage an app that way because you know your app will 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 be logged in and, and it's it's connected to the Apple ID and 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 you know there there you can manage all those things via native app functionality in a better way than 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 the web, right? And so I think this is just sort of like another example of, well, now not only is is Apple sort of like created this policy that, you know, it expects people to comply with. Well, now it's actually just revoking any sort of like last technological, um, you know, resource that you could have used to get around the policy. And it's really saying, look, we kind of expect you to serve your content within this private network that we're creating for our iOS users. And if you need to have your content sit outside of that private network, then you're going to lose a lot of functionality. So it's a really interesting development. And I think, you know, this is like, This isn't the explosion. This is them lighting the fuse, but you see them moving more and more uh, aggressively in this direction of like our iOS ecosystem is not just uh, the phone. It's not just the app store. It's basically everything that the iOS users are doing. And that's a private environment. And if you want to participate in that environment, you need to build an app that we manage and that we basically, uh, you know, dictate the terms of usage for. So that was really interesting to me. And that was kind of the big new announcement at wwdc in my opinion wow
2: yeah so actually apple trying to use their leverage of their platform to say everyone has to be building apps um there's no more of this like go to webkit view and being able to track everything that you couldn't on the app store now apple forces everyone within their ecosystem
1: i think that's the goal yeah wow
0: Yeah, Uh, my takeaways were more on the uh, the A-B testing side, of course, because that's the uh, that's the primary service I use on the the product side. So it's good that they're adding it, uh, but I'm kind of comparing it to the existing services. So with the Apple's A-B testing, it's very dependent on manual reviews, app updates and a very limited number of elements you can use. I think it's limited to, you know, to visuals and only three different variants. This makes Apple's native testing ideal for minor tweaks and kind of show you how, what, what you can do with, with small, imp, small improvements to App Store optimization. But I think it's ineffective for a more comprehensive test, especially when you're experimenting with, you know, different art styles, new features, like comparing different art style, comparing different themes. It doesn't really work for that. And other services like I know Eric and I use Geek Lab that allows you to segment users and select which audiences you want to test with, resulting in better repeatability. Repeatability. So I think, as as Eric said, I think it's it's safe for others companies that are doing this. But I think it's really good that Apple has added it because it gives dev, devs who haven't done this before kind of like insight of what they could do with even a small amount of App Store optimization.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like an intro, right? It's, it's yeah, yeah. Like a basic tool to do this. Yeah, yeah. You know, this tutorial to this- optimization. Yeah. <laughs> <It's
2: so real. laughs> I feel like we need to go back in time and grab like an audio clip from a previous podcast because there's, there's no way I can throw Apple under the bus. Pretty sure I would get fired. But Eric has like multiple repeated sections of the same message, which is Apple hates Spartans. So I think we should just cut and paste one of those audio messages to the <laughs> yeah. end here, um, just so that at least Eric's got his take.
0: <laughs> it may Maybe
2: good that he's not on
0: this particular podcast. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, yeah. Really. So,
2: I'm sure he'd be Apple. livid <laughs> <laughs> listening to what Eric just said. Like I
0: don't understand what's going on, but Apple, yada yada yada. Yeah. Well, yeah. We we uh, I think this I think there's a uh, plenty plenty good things here, and um, Apple just you know having a strong control of their ecosystem.
1: Yeah. Well, that's Apple that's apple, that's apple. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like when uh, after 9 11 you know people would be like love it or leave it baby like that's apple you know what? you're free to work on android exclusively yeah
0: <laughs> all right on that note this is the end of the podcast thanks for hanging through and i'll see everybody next week and, and after a week from there on level up 2021 bye everybody cheers